Let's just pray before we start. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the new life and the new hope that you've given to us all. I pray, Lord, that you would open up uh, the words of the scriptures today, that you would speak to us and speak afresh to us, even from familiar verses. I thank you that you can bring it today as if it was new. And I pray that you'd speak to each of us just as what we need to hear. And I thank you, Lord, that you are for us and you've got a good plan for us. Amen. Right, it says in, um, in Christ, and that is a, a biblical um, term for being a Christian. So it's throughout the New Testament, you've got various places where it says being in Christ. And um, it means just being a Christian. And there are many things that are true for those people who are in Christ. If you're a Christian here today, there are lots of things that are true. When I was a new Christian, I beavered away and wrote down lots of things that were true and learnt them and, and were just fascinated by what these things were. In Ephesians 1, there's a good example. It says that, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And then it goes on to list some of them. But there's a fascinating verse in 1 John 5, verse 13. You can, you can look it up later if you want to. It's, it's in here. I, honest, it's in there. But he writes something very interesting. He's, he's writing to Christians. He said, I write to you who believe that you might know that you have eternal life. So he's writing to people that, who, who already believe, but he wants them to know that they have eternal life. And that's what God is like. It isn't enough for him to just bless us. He wants us to know that we're blessed as well. Because that's what he's like. He's abundant. He overflows. He wants us to know it because he knows that if we know it, it's going to change our lives. It's going to change the way we think. It's going to change the decisions we make. Probably the jobs that we will take, the career paths, it will change the kind of parents we are. It will even change the rewards that we get when we get to heaven. It will make big change. And people that come into contact with us will encounter a different person if we know what is true of us. Our believing the truth doesn't make it true but it makes a big difference to us and everybody we come into contact with. So what we're going to be talking about over the next five weeks is like spiritual five a day. You heard a lot about, you know, your five a day. This is the spiritual five a day. It just happens to be five weeks we're doing it. There's, you, when we finished it, you can do your five a day because this is going to make us strong. If you're not a Christian here today, you're still very welcome. Maybe um, you can do a bit of window shopping, see what, the, see what the Christian world has to offer. And maybe you could also see if Christians look as happy as you think they should do based on what's true of us. Because we should look really happy. Now everybody's smiling, so it's, it's good news that we have. When I was looking at this, um, just thinking about the introduction and the series, a verse from Genesis came up and a verse that God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 13 and he said to him, lift your eyes up from where you are and you look to the north, to the south and the east and to the west. And I believe that's something God would say to us with these different truths we're going to be looking at. Look up from where you are, wherever it is, whatever your job's doing, whatever happens in, in your life, lift your eyes up and see what is true for you. You've been adopted, you've been forgiven. You're in Christ, no condemnation. All sorts of things are true. And it's great stuff to meditate on. So now that's the introduction. So now we're going to look at Romans 8, 1 to 4. And here we go. There's Caleb's helping me with the PowerPoint. He's our PowerPoint whiz. 
it says. So we're going to be looking at verse 1, that's where the main verse is, but I've included verses 2 to 4 because it helps us understand what it says in verse 1. It says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that is, those who are Christians, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, when you just read a bunch of verses like that, just maybe you've not seen them before, you've not seen them for a long time, you can think, oh well, I'm supposed to be excited but I don't quite know why. Um, Let's take it and work through them. We've got five different points. So if we do do the next one, there we go. We've picked out some words here, and we're going to look at those words in some different points. So if we then move on to the next one, and the next, we'll rearrange them into, that's what we're going to look at. So in verse 1, it says there's no condemnation. But I want us to really think about, well, what is condemnation anyway? Because one of the things is, if you're thinking about well, I'm excited because something is missing. Sometimes it can be a little difficult to think, well, what is missing and what difference does it make? There's no condemnation, but what is condemnation? There's been a, um, a lot of publicity lately about the American um, penal system and about how uh, some of the drug companies have been refusing to sell the drugs so that they can't execute in the way that they were going to execute because the drugs aren't available. And some, there's been publicity about um, the inhumanity, about how some of the people have died and so on. You've probably heard about that. Now, there is evidently then a death penalty in some states for committing certain crimes like murder, as a for instance. And the sentence is given. It isn't like in this country where it's a prison sentence. There's, the judge pronounces the sentence with the punishment following. That's what condemnation is about. There's a sentence and there's a judgment hanging over them. The sentence will, ev- will eventually be executed. The criminal can spend years on death row. And I looked up on the internet and apparently the longest serving person on death row was 40 years that they spent waiting for appeal after appeal and eventually they died of natural causes. So you can be on their decades waiting. And I just, you know, just to imagine what that would be like, I mean, aside from the fact that they presumably are guilty and deserve, you know, they've got their punishment that they're deserving, whether you agree with that or not is not the point. The point is that's, that's the system. They're waiting, they get up every day, have a shower, go about their business, eat, go to bed, exercise maybe, but for decades there's this thing hanging over them. Is this today? Is this the day of the judgment? This condemnation is hanging over them relentlessly, every second, every day, it's there. And that is condemnation. And it doesn't matter whether they regret the crime, it doesn't matter whether they serve one year, ten years, forty years, that condemnation is still there. And for, for everyone um, who is not, um, you know, when we're all born, that is what we're under. We're under a sentence. We're under condemnation. So we're under this big cloud, and it's, it's, it's bad news. 
But we could say, yeah, but that's them. I haven't done anything as bad as that. There was a program this week on the um, documentary on the, the Moors murderers from the 60s and hideous things that they did. You can think, well, I'm not, not anywhere like as bad as that. I'm really not perfect, but I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good, really. I'm a law-abiding citizen. And I did have a look when I was just thinking about you know, how law-abiding we are and what good people we are. What might be the most popular or most commonly broken crimes? What do you think they might have been? Hmm? Theft? Speeding. Speeding. Easy. Spe speeding um, and also speaking on your mobile phone while you're speeding or while you're driving. So even if we're upstanding, law-abiding citizens, maybe if you don't drive, then perhaps you're perfect. I mean, maybe, you know, the, the most commonly... Um, the common crime would be speeding. I managed to get a, an, what they call an SP30, which is a speeding in a... Um, I was probably doing about 30.5 or something, and I think it's probably doing about 34, 35. So that was a bit of a nuisance. So I fell short. So our idea of law-keeping for us can be we've got a measure, and we think, well... We kind of won't have it too high, but it will sort of reasonable, so we'll have it sort of there. But then if something like my SP30 comes up, but as I kind of put it down a bit just in case. But when I come to measure up someone else, I set it a little bit higher because my standards for someone else are a lot higher than my standards for me. But that is one thing. But what that passage is talking about there, it's talking about the law. In that, those four verses, it variously mentioned the law various different times. And it's not just, it's not the law of the land, it's not whether you speed or not. It's about um, God's law and God's holy law. And that, that is the issue, that he has a law. And if we, look, if we were to look, which we haven't got time to do, when you ever speak about something in Romans, it's quite difficult because you want to say the whole thing because everything drives you back a f further chapter. But I will just say that um, in chapter 7, it likens the law to a husband. It's like we're married to somebody who is always pointing out our faults. He says, you didn't do this, or you did do that. You never do that. And all the while, there's a measuring up, and we fall short. And some of the ladies who are married might be thinking, that sounds like my husband. <laughs> and furthermore, this figure of the law not only points out where we're wrong, he never lifts a finger to help. So you're thinking, it's definitely my husband. But there is more, because this husband is perfect. So now you've realized it's not your husband. So <laughs> this, this husband is perfect. And um, one of the things is, is that if we measure up to, if we try and measure ourselves up to God's holy law, everybody falls short. It says in Romans 3 that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that is the measure that we're up against. That is why we're under condemnation, because there's this standard of God that is so high, he's holy. It's not like I didn't speed or I did speed or I, I've never murdered or I've never been into prison. It's well, have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind all the time? Have you seen that Jesus said, well, it's not just did you murder, but did you have hatred in your heart? It isn't just adultery, but what kind of thoughts of lust have you got in your heart? So it's, it's like 
this standard is way, way high. And it says, in, in the passage, it says is that the law was powerless to save us. And the thing is, the purpose of the law isn't to save. The purpose of the law is to hold the standard. It points the way to Christ. It shows us that we are falling short. It arouses and provokes sin in us, but it isn't bad because it's God's holy law. It's, it then goes on to say, in Romans um, 8 verse 3, it says what the law was powerless to do. And that is to save and change. God did by sending his own son. So what the law couldn't do, and the law wasn't supposed to do it either, God did it by sending his own son. So Jesus was born of a woman, it says in Galatians, he was born under law. So he too was subject to the law. So when this figure that, we, that I mentioned in Romans 7, this severe husband um, measured up to Jesus, it was a bit of a different story to what it would be with us. Because, I don't know, if you haven't got children, you've certainly been one, and if you've looked at children or can remember what it's like to be a child, if you think about Jesus going through the process of infant, child, and quite often you see children's ideas, their world is all about them. Tantrums, I didn't get this, you get... Some, you can get the lying phase as well, where we think, where did that come from? They suddenly start telling these bizarre lies that are so obviously, ridiculously not true. So then you have that. Well, Jesus didn't have that. It says in, in Hebrews that he was tempted on all points in every way, yet he was without sin. So that means that from the time that he was born to the time he hung on the cross, in all the experiences he had, he never sinned, always kept the law. When, it, when he was 12, it says that he went down, and it says with his parents, so he's referring to Joseph and Mary, he went down to Jerusalem as there, was their custom to the Passover. And they found him, because they, they lost him, and they found him in, in the courts, and he was speaking with the teachers of the law, asking questions and all sorts of things. And his response to them was, well, didn't you know where I would be? I'd be in my father's house. But he said, he went with them and he obeyed them. He honoured he honored them. That's one of the laws. He had women in close attendance to him, and yet in his heart there was never an inappropriate thought towards them. That he um, worshipped the Lord. You know, when, when we read about um, how he was tempted in the wilderness and how the devil came to him, he worshipped the Lord and served him only. He didn't put the Lord to the test. He, he never, ever sinned. He kept the law perfectly. Could you give me a hand, Vince? So... So as so Vince is just going to be the law for the minute. So the law is perfect. The law's right. The law doesn't move. Jesus said, I come to fulfill the law. It isn't going to move. And Jesus was able to stand and look the law in the eye. And he's, he's done it. Whereas we, the law, was some great towering figure. And you say, please help me. Can't, he's not going to help me. The law won't help because the law's job isn't to help. The law's jo job is to point out the, and arouse my sin and point the way to Christ. But Jesus, he did it. He, he fulfilled the law. Thanks, Vince. Near the end of his time on earth, Jesus said, the ruler of this world, that's the devil, he's got nothing in me. 
there's nothing in me, there's nothing he can find in me. That is not something we could have said. We couldn't have said something like that, but Jesus could say it. Number four says, the righteous requirement of the law was met in us. How does that work? We know that Jesus is righteous. We know he's righteous. We could say, well, I don't have any problem with that. He's, he's tempted in every way. He was perfect. God's um, son, God's um, one and only. He's perfect, but what about us? So if I ask you a question now, and I'm not asking you to give me a show of hands, just ask a question in your heart. Are you righteous? I know what you might think the the proper and real answer might be, but what is your answer on the inside? Are you righteous? Because the answer to that question will determine how you walk through this life. It will determine whether you think um, you have a confidence and whether the sun is shining on you or not, whether God is saying, well done, or whether you've got to try and do something else. Are you righteous? Well, when I've been a Christian about a year which was about 30 years ago, Sally went to college up in London and she got involved in the Christian Union up there and she would come home and she'd tell me about what was happening and there was various characters in the Christian Union. There was this one character that I found immediately irritating even though I'd never met him. I don't know whether you've ever had anything like that. You get someone that says things, I don't like that. I don't like him. And he had these big ideas about what Christians, what were true of Christians, and suddenly come home one weekend and said, well, Tim said that we're righteous. I thought, well, Tim, <laughs> again. I kept hearing about Tim, and I thought we'd gone too far this time saying that we're righteous as Christians, because I thought, well, you know, we're British after all. You know, we, we don't do, I thought he was probably American, you know, that come out with something like that. No offence to Juanita, of course, but... He said we were righteous. And I didn't like that because I thought it wasn't true. I thought it was going too far. You might think that as well. Maybe you might think, if, am I righteous? Maybe it depends. Well, it depends, really. Um, if I've had a good day, if I set the measure, probably down there, could be perfect. surely God doesn't expect me to give more than I could give. I work hard. I've always worked hard. I've been diligent. Surely he doesn't expect me to give more than I could possibly give because he's fair, he's loving, he's good, he's kind. Well, Paul, the person who wrote Romans, he wrote something like this to the Philippians. He said, if you think your efforts or your flesh are pretty good, well, mine are even better because I'm a Jew. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I persecuted the church. Look at my credentials. Just better than yours. And, and yet he found that his effort wasn't enough to make him a Christian. It wasn't enough to satisfy God's law. I found out 
And it was a strange combination of annoyance and delight that Tim was right. We are righteous. And that is probably one of the biggest life-changing things that I've come to realize, is that I can say I'm righteous. So the question that I put to you earlier, are you righteous? The answer is yes. It says in Romans 5.17, it says, those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, they reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's a gift. We haven't had to earn it. You know, I had Vince standing here. All of that life of Jesus' obedience Everything, his perfect righteousness is counted to us, given as a gift, so that we can say we're righteous. We can be confident. It gives us confidence then to go to God and um, not feel there's anything undone. Like Jesus, we can say, you've got nothing in us, devil, because I'm clean. I have a breastplate of righteousness. I have this whole set of armor. I have a new nature. I was um, just looking things up. I don't know whether, I don't know whether De- Dennis the Menace, we got Dennis the Menace, here he is. Now, Dennis the Menace apparently made his first appearance in a Beano comic, 17th of March, 1951. So anybody remember that? Sort of. <laughs> I don't know whether he's been, as it were, reborn um, and revamped these days. But there was a comic strip Um, In one of the comic strips, Dennis and his friend Joey are leaving Mrs. Wilson's house. These are characters in the cartoon strip. They're loaded up with a plate full of cookies. Joey turns to Dennis, who's there, and says, I wonder what we did to deserve this. Dennis is quick to reply, Look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. He thought he'd done something good to get the cookies but it was actually because Mrs. Wilson was good that they got the cookies. We are righteous because God is good, not because we're good. We have the gift of righteousness because God is good, like the plate of cookies because Mrs. Wilson is good, not because we've done something. It's a gift. We, we can't earn it and we haven't earned it. But you could think, well, God could say anything. He can say anything. He's God, isn't he? He could just say that we're righteous and just say, well, we'll just forget about the, the misdemeanors and the falling short and all of that. You've not been too bad. We'll just call you righteous. Let's just say you're righteous. Well, there's a film called The Prince of Egypt. I don't know whether anybody's seen The Prince of Egypt. Anybody's seen The Prince of Egypt? Animated story of covering um, Moses 1 to 15. It is, um, I was pleased to see on the internet, it says that it's, semi-historical, which means that it's semi-lie as well, because if you compare it with the biblical account, it's quite interesting to read Moses, um, read Exodus 1 to 15 and compare it with um, Prince of Egypt, because then you can see what um, is right and what isn't. But Ramesses, his response to Moses killing a man is, I'm Egypt the morning and the evening star. If I say day is night, it will be written, and you will be who you say I are. I say you're innocent. And Moses said, he didn't actually say this, but in Prince of Egypt he said it, Moses said, 
It doesn't matter what you say, I killed a man. So God just saying that we're innocent, that we're righteous, even God can't do that. But that isn't what he does. He declares us righteous on the basis of the perfect righteousness of Christ, and that's called justification. He says we're righteous on the basis of Jesus' life, on, on the perfect righteousness of Jesus, we're then declared righteous. It's the great exchange. So we have his righteousness, he took our sin, we're counted clean. That's why there's therefore now no condemnation. You know at the beginning I was saying about the, the prisoner that's perhaps got decades of wondering if today's the day, whether he's going to be executed. He's probably heard about the drugs. Is, are the drugs going to work? You know, is it going to be a, um, a hideously long three-hour death or whatever it is? Is it today? Is it hanging over me still? And what about if he was then set free? It wouldn't deal with the guilt of whether he'd done the crime or not, but he would have that death penalty lifted from him. If that would be good for him, how much more good is it for us that we have no condemnation because... Jesus has done it for us. There's an old song that said, we had a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. And that's, that's the amazing exchange. And I have some optional homework for you, if you are interested, when you're alone. And this is a bit of a test on what you believe about, your, about being righteous or not. Say out loud, I am righteous. In fact, look in the mirror and say to yourself, I am righteous. Can you say that? It's a bit of a test for you because it's true. And when we say things that are true, we're coming into agreement with what God's already said. It's good to have what God says in our heart and also coming out of our mouth. So the three are in agreement. So we can look in the mirror and say, I am righteous. And God is saying, yeah, that's it, son. That's it, daughter. You're righteous. Because we are. You could also read the book of Romans. That'd be some great homework. But if you're short on time, just cut it down to chapters 3, 5, and 8. That'd be good. You can maybe do the bits in between. You know, Romans is really good. Um, just showing you what the gospel, the process. I've just touched on just little bits of it and... I was saying to Jez when I was looking at this, it was like shaking up a bottle of lemonade and then opening the top and thinking, oh, there's, there's so much stuff. How do we just you know, grab the thing and put it into some kind of sensible shape and order in a, in a small amount of time? But it's an appetite wetter, so you can look at, if you want to, you can look at the stuff um, later on. When... Um, we started off, I said there was a, some about Abraham looking at the land and looking, comparing um, these things in Christ to a physical, physical land and a physical um, geographical location. And that's also what I want to look at now as we come to a close, in that um, there's a different, different account still about a, a place of land, because this is the application for us because you might be thinking yeah but I don't feel I still feel condemned I don't feel righteous so there is an application as well
one of the things it's helpful to do as Christians is, is to compare these biblical, biblical accounts of what's true for us in Christ with um, possessing land, um, fighting to take land. Now, we haven't got to fight to get the land. The land is already ours. But there's an account in Joshua, chapter 14, which, have we got that? There we go. So, we, we've got two boys called Caleb and Joshua, and one of the great things about Caleb and Joshua, of course, that there was 12 spies sent to look at the land to see what it was like. Ten of them came back. They all saw the same thing. Ten came back. No faith. Total unbelief. We can't do it. Two of them came back and said, we can certainly do it with God's help. Because they had eyes of faith. And they had a, a spirit in them that saw things through different lenses. But the problem was, because of the ten, they had to wait over 40 years to get what had been promised to them. But Caleb didn't forget. And he said, now then, he comes to Joshua, who's now taken over from Moses. He says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said to Moses... While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. See, it's never too late. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out, just as vigorous to go into battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. His daughter was actually just the same as this. She said, you know, give me springs of water in a different, different place. He passed that same, give me. And I think that's a fantastic attitude to have as a Christian, is not just, oh, well, you know, what will be will be. This man had waited 45 years, and he said, I'm still as strong today as I was then, and I haven't forgotten the promise, so give it to me. And that's a great attitude to have, you know, as, as men and women of faith, to take God's promises and say, Lord, give me, give it to me, you said. Remember, Lord, remember what you said. Won't the God who, won't the Lord who, you know, do what's right, the God of all the earth. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. Now give it to me. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron as, in, as his inheritance. And I think that's a fantastic um, account, but I think that is something we can really get hold of in terms of the promises and things that are ours in Christ. Because there are things, you know, it's all ours, it's already ours. But sometimes you have to fight to enforce the victory. Sometimes you've got to put your foot on something, and there are things in there, and they're usually thoughts in your mind, things that come up, accusations that can come, and you've got to challenge them. It says, with the Lord's help, we can do it. So we can spend the rest of our life exploring this good land. You can spend however many days you've got exploring these things, getting more and more revelation, getting your five a day, becoming strong and healthy. But some might say, but I still feel condemned. In this land belonging to Caleb, there were people who needed to be evicted. Sometimes in our thought lives, there are thoughts that need to be evicted. There are things that um, are legacies from the past that shouldn't really be there anymore. And we can have established ways of thinking. It talked about uh, fortified cities. Sometimes we can have a collection of thoughts 
that form a bit of a stronghold. And they then can then argue and set themselves up against what God is saying. And sometimes we don't even know this is happening. But the great news is God can set us free from things like that. That it can, it can rob us from enjoying what is already ours. So with his help, we can drive them out. So the general antidote to... Um, but I still feel condemned. The, the general answer to that is we need to grow in knowing what the truth is. That's the general answer. But there are some other things as well. There can be some physi- physiological, it's a difficult word to say, physiological effects. Um, sometimes when we're on medication, sometimes you can wake up on, on a Monday morning and, and there's even a term I found on the internet called brain fog, that you can have this kind of foggy feeling in your brain where you can't really think right. Well, that isn't condemnation, that's a, that's a physical sensation. Sometimes when I've taken medication, um, there's been a... Um, a changing of reality because of how you see things and how you feel, that's not condemnation. Sometimes you can feel that way, but it, that isn't a condemnation thing. There's also faith versus sight. You know, from when, from when we're, um, we can feel condemned, in other words. We just, I just feel condemned. Well, why do you feel condemned? I just feel condemned. Well, that's not an objective thing, and, and the more we are, in, it says... Um, and the more our mind is renewed, the more we become free. You know, we, we'll be transformed. And so, when we're little babies, we come into the world walking by sight. Sight meaning senses. You know, we're aware of, we're hungry, we're aware of having, you know, wind feelings or dirty nappies or whatever it is. But the thing is, as you grow older, and when you become a Christian, that same thinking, walking by sight, can carry on because you can think, oh, I can't get a job now because there's a recession. Or I can't buy a house because look at my bank account. Or I can't do that because look at my body. And that, all those kind of things are walking by sight type of things, which isn't to bring condemnation, but it, the more that we say, well, what does God say about these things? What does God say? He says there's no condemnation. He says that I measure up. You know, I measured up to Vince like that. That means that I can stand to the law and I measure up now because Jesus has given his righteousness to me. I measure up perfectly. No one can bring a charge against me because God's justified me. There can be a question with condemnation versus conviction. You know, sometimes when we say we're feeling condemned, God's trying to tell us that we need to repent of something. And when I was a new Christian, I was unhelpfully taught that condemnation is always vague. Conviction is always specific. So that means that if I get something that is specific, it must be from God then. Well, no, because condemnation can be specific as well. But the difference between condemnation and conviction is that conviction from God is incisive. It's clean. It brings, it goes right to the point you get cut to the heart. He shows you, the Holy Spirit will show us what we need to repent of. When it's condemning, it's, it's in, encased and encrusted in, in death and, and doesn't lead to life. Conviction leads to life. And that's what God always wants to do. He always wants to lead us to life. Now I think that this, this next point 
is quite important because I was looking at this, not that the rest was, wasn't, <laughs> this is important as well, but is there a measuring line? You know, this is in answer to the question, do you still feel condemned? Do you still feel condemned? And one of the reasons, and one of the biggest reasons to this, is that sometimes there can be measuring lines still held up to our life. You know, we've been freed from the law. Maybe the devil still holds the law up to you because you don't know that you've been set free. And the thing with the devil is he's a liar, so he can hold up anything to you, whether it's true or not, and he'll do that. It says he accuses day and night. Sometimes we can hold a measure up to ourselves. I've got a little engineering ruler here. Got little graduations on there. Sometimes I can hold a measure up to myself and it can be called perfectionism. And this is the law that I'm applying to myself. That I've got to do all these minute graduation things in here. I've got to do, this is my self-imposed law that I feel under condemnation because this thing is applied to my life and I apply it to my life. Sometimes you can have um, something that's called man-pleasing so that you are acting in a way to please someone or give them what you think they want. So that's another law that you can be applying to your life. So, so the holy law has been dealt with but we can have a whole host of other laws pleasing somebody else. Well, what do they want? I don't know. Well, maybe they want a bit more. I don't know if I can do that much. And that can drive us. That can drive us and hold us prisoner. And what about other people? Now, going back to, um, you know, it can go back a long time. It can go back to childhood. I've had this, this is quite old. This was my granddad's. It hasn't even got any millimetres on there. I think I'd invented millimetres then. <laughs> but you can have a measure that goes back to childhood because somebody said, you're never going to amount to anything. You're stupid. You're no good. Your life's going to go nowhere. That can be the measure that you're living up to. And it's not... Sometimes you can just believe it and think, no, I won't. Other people will take that same pack of lies and try to prove it wrong. So they're trying to live up to this thing and exceed it. I will come to something. I will exceed it. These things can hold you prisoner. You know, even Christians can do it. You know, you get, we're talking about becoming, um, you become free as a Christian. As soon as um, you become free as a Christian, we'll, we'll of course see you at the prayer meeting on Wednesday. And uh, here's some books that you need to read. And, or you need to stop smoking. You need to stop seeing your girlfriend. And really you need to um, change your job so that you can be here on a Sunday. And what about helping with putting the chairs out? And before you know where you are, you can have a whole load of things. And it's not wrong to help. It's good. One of the things about coming Christian is you want to serve and you want to give. That's, that's normal Christian life. But sometimes it can come encased and shrouded in something that is so hideous. It's, it's the face of grace with the voice of legalism. And that is killing. It really is. So that, that can be another voice that 
you're measuring up to. You think, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to read my Bible today. I've just got, I just got to tell someone about Jesus. Don't really want to, but I suppose that's what I have to do. And there's another one, which is a passive measure. Maybe in the past, so this one hasn't got any graduations on it. And maybe in the past, somewhere in the past, nothing was said to you. You never got any well dones or good job. And so these days, you don't know when to stop. Because, well, I've never been told it's been good enough. So it's just got to keep going. I, I don't know. And this is the measure. The measure that's held up has got no graduations on it. I don't know where it ends. Sometimes that can be because of um, sibling favoritism, that um, one gets all the praise. I saw a documentary the other day about Karen Carpenter. One of the sad um, things in her life was that her brother was favoured, certainly by the mother. And as a result, Karen Carpenter had one of these. And she just didn't know when it was good enough. God wants to take all of these. If you've got any of these, he wants to take them away. Because he says, it's for freedom, I've set you free. If I declare you righteous, who is it that condemns you? What kind of measure have you got? If you've got any measures, give them to him. Because we're free. He's made us to be free. There's no condemnation, which means we're free. So, that's it. Should we, should we pray? And if you want to come back, John, and do whatever you do. Father, I thank you that you've set us free. We thank you that your son is the one who's outstanding among 10,000. And the devil could find nothing in him, though he was tempted. He was beaten, rejected, falsely accused, and even killed. And yet on the cross he said, Father, forgive them. Lord, there was no sin in him. No deceit was found in his mouth. Lord, we thank you that you've given all of that to us, counted us righteous, that you've destroyed everything that would be counted against us. And Lord, I pray that you would show us now if there's anything that you want to just take from us so that we could experience more freedom, that we could experience that smile from heaven, that there is a God who smiles over us, because he loves us. There's nothing left to do. You've done it all. If we never read our Bibles again or never prayed, you'd love us no less. If we never spoke to anybody about you, you'd love us no less. 
Lord, we thank you.